1: a room upgrade don't wait to make smart financial decisions compare and find smarter credit cards savings accounts and more today at nerdwallet.com reminder credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply NerdWallet, finance smarter our kids have said to us since we've moved to minnesota we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived
2: This is Talk Easy, I'm Sam Fragoso, welcome to the show. Today on the show, I am pleased to have on Janelle Monet. She is a... well, she's kind of everything. An actor, a musician, an activist, a CEO. She seems to have an ability to be anything and everything she wants to be. Her latest project comes in the form of a movie. In the new psychological horror film, Antebellum, Monet, as the lead plays a renowned author who's been thrusted into a new, unnerving reality. A reality in which she and other African-Americans are forced to work as slaves on the eve of the Civil War. Here's a bit from the trailer.
3: You're from Virginia, right? I can tell. You're special. We are the future. You, you're not like the others. I'm coming!
1: Whoever you were before, Ah!
0: that's over.
1: what are we doing what is the plan
2: it's a horror film set in the past that unfortunately reminds us of the present you can watch antebellum at home On Demand, September 18th. But for today, we discuss the timeliness of this story, especially in the aftermath of Jacob Blake. Monet, like many of us, has been asking the big and small questions in the pandemic. Questions around purpose and value. She's tried to remain hopeful and active, fighting on behalf of essential workers and the Black Lives Matter movement. Her music, whether it's on records you may have heard like Dirty Computer or The Electric Lady, how to be transparent and authentic in a world full of deception and dishonesty. She says that since she was young, she's been connected to the future. If anyone else said something like that, you may think twice. You may call it a little woo-woo. You may even call it silly. But when it comes from her, I don't know. I kind of believe it. She's an artist connected to the future who's been forced to actively confront her present, just like you and I. And so that's what we try to do in this conversation. Confront the present as it stands, one step at a time. I hope you enjoy. Janelle Monae, thank you so much for
3: being here. Thank you for, thank you for so much. Look, I can't (laughs) even talk right. Thank you so much for having me. That's the
2: joys of editing. We can just, that's going to sound perfect
3: right there. Actually, don't, don't edit it out. Just, I want, I want to capture my disorientation.
2: We can capture all my dis. dis
3: (laughs) That wasn't even intentional. (laughs) Look, we just started and, 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 and look at us
2: we're already messing up it's perfect <laughs> so let's start with something um
3: obvious which
2: is how are you doing right now
3: that is such a volcano of a question because i'm feeling everything now i'm, I'm sure i'm not the only one but there's there there's so much going on and there's so much that still needs to be done and I think today I'm at conflict with canceling things or promoting things, and I haven't made a decision. So I'm a little, I'm I'm straddling the fence and exerting more energy than usual as a result.
2: You have to ask yourself, what is a value right now? Which is a question I think we always asked ourselves, but it's just a harder question these days.
3: It varies. Some days I'm just too fatigued and it's a no. You know, it's it's nobody that can talk me out of just staying in my room and balling up and, you know, keeping the covers over my head and not showering. And then there's days where I'm up and I'm like, you know what? This is this is this life on earth. I need to be creating. I need to be doing. I need to be giving. I need to be helping. And, you know, I have those moments. But I think I think I think it's important to just be honest and more transparent. I think What this time has taught all of us is that transparency will save you less stress.
2: I wondered for you, because you've said this before, where you said so much of your creation comes from your current reality. But since this current reality is so precarious and uncertain,
3: how difficult has it been to create? (laughs) Well, my pre-corona and, you know, having to uh, live life differently and more cautiously and protecting not just myself from the virus, but others around me. Uh, Before all of that, I was able to really create because I had a sense of normalcy. Right now, nothing about what we're going through is normal. So it's hard for me to create when I have no sense of reality, you know, no sense of familiarity. So, a lot of um what i've been doing is is doing a lot more organizing a lot more yeah a, a lot more figuring out how to be a better citizen you know yeah i've been having to do a lot more breathing and actively stealing time from myself away from being online away from even talking about how i'm doing you know um a lot of it is just allowing yourself to be present because, uh, you know, we'll never get this time back. And and, and I, I do a horrible job at reminding myself of that. I think if I did more of that, I probably wouldn't, you know, have, have... I mean, I'm an introvert, but not a lot of people know this about me. I'm more extroverted because of my profession and because I have to be on stage and I have to be around folks, but... Uh, Being an empath and being also an introvert, going in my room and recharging is what has to happen in order for me to be the best version of myself. So I think remaining present allows me to have that time to not suffer, to not think about the future and what's going on or to not think about, well, what happened? Why didn't I do that? Or why didn't this happen? Or why did this happen to them? You know, when you're present and you're looking at everything around you, uh, you find you find happiness just right there.
2: Well, I'm going to do my best for the next 50 minutes to be as present as possible in this conversation.
3: <laughs> okay, cool. Hey, you got to do whatever you need to do to, to stay sane and happy. I'm, I support.
2: Before the pandemic, when you were more able to create, you made these two movies that are coming out. And I want to start with Antebellum. And what this film means to you, because it's set in the mid nineteenth century, around the time of the Underground Railroad, it unfortunately feels tied to this moment that we're in. What do you think this film can show people about America in twenty twenty?
3: I read the script and I thought I knew what movie it was. Like around you know that first act, I was like, oh, okay, this is this this movie, but then there was a twist. And I was all in because I felt like this this film effectively connected the dots between the past, the present and the future. And when you look at at, at where we are today and when you look at what's going on with the police, when you look at what's going on with police brutality, uh, the murdering of black people, when you look at systemic racism, when you look at white supremacy, you can't talk about any of that without Addressing chattel slavery and reminding people that Black people were forced to be over here. I'm not here because I asked to be. It's because my ancestors were forced to come here, stolen, so that we could work for free. When I think about that, I think that what this movie reminds me, and I hope reminds everybody, is that the past is not dead. The past is not even the past, in the words of uh, William Faulkner. People don't even realize that during the Civil War, one of the earliest institutions in the South of policing was the Slave Patrol, where police were created to track down all of the runaway enslaved people, to terrorize and kill those who wanted to start a revolt. The police were not rooted fundamentally to Preserve and, and, and protect the people. No, it, they were created to traumatize Black people and kill Black people and to monitor Black people. And when you hear us screaming, defund the police or abolish the police, that is why we are saying that. Because inherently, this is a system that was rooted in racist policy. So I think that this film connects those dots that we can forget about. It's it's centered around, you know, this Black woman who is a successful author and Veronica Henley is her name and she finds herself in this horrifying reality where she's forced to confront the past, the present and the future before it's too late. I haven't seen this in film as much as I would like. What is it like today for Black women to carry the burden of... Dismantling and deconstructing white supremacy and systemic racism and systemic oppression on their backs. Black women carry that burden every single day. When you look at Maxine Waters, when you look at all of the women who started, black women who started Black Lives Matter, when you when you look uh, at those who are on the front lines, it's black women. Is it our job? No. We didn't start it. And we shouldn't have to clean up this mess. Yet we still do it. So this was an opportunity to highlight a mother, a sister, a friend, a community leader, an organizer, a pillar in the community on screen and humanize Black women. I hate when I hear, I used to be like, yeah, that's right, Black women are superheroes, but I don't like that. I don't like that we are looked at as people that have to, have to fix everything all the time. You know, it shouldn't be our job. It should be white folks (laughs) dealing with their past, reckoning with what the majority of their ancestors created and started. And so I think antebellum is going to trigger some, going to piss some off. Most of all, it's going to tell the truth. And that was my number one job.
2: And that has been your job for a long time, to tell the truth at all costs. Even in the other film where you're playing Dorothy Pittman Hughes, who is an iconic figure in the 60s and 70s in the feminism movement, co creating Miss Magazine with Gloria Steinem, another black woman that carried the burden of having to fix problems they did not create. Create, yeah. How do you keep going onward? <laughs>
3: I'm going to tell you, it's, it's nothing but staying connected to the ancestors. I know that it sounds so spiritual, and I, and I am, you know, a spiritual person. So to some, it may sound like, well, how do you do that? But honestly, I have felt at a very young age that I had information that I wasn't supposed to know. I've always felt connected to the future and always felt connected to purpose, not thinking about, how I was going to make money, but more so thinking about how am I going to live authentically in my purpose, what I am specifically sent here to do. I've, I've always felt like I've been on assignment and sometimes it can be heavy, you know, when you feel like you may want to take roles just for the hell of it. But you don't have all the time to do everything. And so what I have to do is pick things that are aligned in my purpose. And I feel like everything I've picked up until this date has been because I've been on assignment to tell that story, to honor that person, to, um, you know, bring that spirit to the big screen. Um, because we need that representation. It emotionally can take a toll on you, you know, when you, when you feel like you have the world on your back or when you feel the pressures of, Honoring your ancestors or being a black woman, getting these opportunities or, you know, a, a a black person getting these opportunities that maybe not a lot of folks get the opportunity to to be involved in. You feel like, you know, you don't want to make any mistakes and all of that. Uh, I'm letting all that go slowly, but surely. But, you know, to answer your question, I have just in music, whether it's music, whether it's fashion, I feel like there's always purpose driving the decisions that I make.
2: At a young age, you said that you had information that you weren't supposed to know. What was that information?
3: I was a big science fiction fan growing up, and I loved the genre. I I think what what really inspired me was the Goosebumps series and learning about uh, photosynthesis and you know, watching Willy Wonka, watching watching these larger-than-life characters and, and tapping into the whimsical and the fantastic. And this was all while my mom was trying to get on her feet and we were still living with my grandmother and I would watch The Twilight Zone with her. And I was just into things that, you know, if you were in elementary school, you should be outside playing. And not that I wasn't outside playing, I was just more intrigued by the unknown. And I used to write short stories growing up you know that would be like centered around aliens coming to ab- abduct everybody except for me and the plants were spying on my household and all the households in our community and that's how the aliens got tipped off and who to get and and, and why and and where so i just i've had this imagination um always trying to build a world where i guess looking back maybe i was escaping some things you know my my dad was in and out of prison growing up and not in my life as consistent as I would have liked and as he would have liked to have been because of his drug addiction. And so a lot of that pain I I suppressed and I just poured it into the arts, performing, going on stage, figuring out uh, new ways to see art. When you're in high school,
2: you and your friends create a business around throwing these elaborate parties. (gasps)
3: How do you know about this? Oh, my God.
2: Of course I know about the parties. (laughs) But I wanted to know, in this time of reflection, have you been thinking back on that teenage self? Mm -hmm. A young woman who grew up loving science fiction, watching The Twilight Zone with your grandmother, wanting to be immersed in worlds that didn't look like the one you were living in.
3: It's so interesting that you you bring this up. I think... I think us having to sit in inside and be inside really does call us to go inward. It calls us to go inside, and so I, I just started back going to sessions of of therapy and and dealing with my childhood trauma. I didn't know, you know, that I that I had been gone going through like abandonment issues and suffering from anxiety. At a young age until I started thinking about those moments, those moments of me, you know, skipping school and passing out flyers and me and my friends would go to different schools and and invite people to our parties on the weekend. And when we got to the building, if there were like 10 people there and it was just getting started, I would be the friend that would go into the bathroom and lock myself in a stall and walk around in the little stall in tears almost because I had convinced myself that nobody was going to show up. They're not going to come and My friends will have to come in and be like, hey, yes, people are showing up. People are showing up because I could not, I was anticipating Monday morning, everybody saying I went to Chanel's party and nobody was there. It was just too much for me to stomach and it was crippling. And that happened on a, a couple occasions. Some occasions they didn't even know about, but I think they came and talked me out of uh, at least two or three. But I've been dealing with that and I've been trying to stay present. That's been my assignment is to stay present because every, every time I'm thinking about the future of the past, I suffer because I'm thinking about past mistakes and I'm thinking about, well, what if this happens, right? Even with this project, you know, I, I have to be completely honest with you, with all my work. I can have crippling anxiety, you know, around it. And I'm doing a lot more better because I know what it is. I just didn't know what it is. When you're young like that and your mom is, you know, a working class mom who is babysitting and she's a janitor and we live in check to check and we didn't have time to do therapy. You know, we didn't have time for that. So I couldn't address it then.
2: Which is a conversation that needs to be had over and over again. Just the kinds of people that can afford therapy, that are given the room to even go to therapy.
3: I think therapy should be free and therapy should be paid a lot, as well as teachers, essential workers. You know, I, I think the mental health is the thing that will, will help glue us together as humanity when we can empathize. But we can't really empathize unless we know ourselves. Unless we understand, I actually have went through that. I see that person. I mean, it shouldn't take that, but I will say to get a deeper investment in humanity and being a better human to each other, I think that that therapy and handling your mental health, I think will do wonders on, on us as a people, as as a species.
2: You mentioned that looking back at the past, you sometimes think of past mistakes, which we all do. There is a moment that I wanted to go to. You worked at Office Depot. I did. And one day when you're working at Office Depot, you were on one of those display computers. (laughs) You had just created your personal website for your music. And you (laughs) wanted to respond to one of your first few fans through this website
3: on the display computer. What happens... Uh, I was fired. I responded. You know, I couldn't afford a computer and I had probably like two, two supporters, two fans at that time and they caught me on the uh, camera and they were like, Janelle Robinson to the back, please. <laughs> and I, I knew what time it was. I was just like, you know what? Okay. But they were so cool. They knew everybody knew that what I wanted to do. They knew that this was not my purpose. Like I'd already served my time. I'd already already swept up enough. I'd already sold enough ink. It was time for me to to move on. You know, to to what my next mission was and my life's mission. And you know, being an artist and dedicating myself full time to channeling ideas, to channeling what what it is that I'm supposed to say. The manager was cool. He was just like, you know what? We know this is not what you want to do. We're just going to make <laughs> this easy for you. You're fired. And I was happy. I wasn't crying. I wasn't sad. I was happy because I didn't have any more excuses. I had no more excuses of why I wasn't recording or why I wasn't writing or why I wasn't, as I don't have a job. I don't have a job anymore, actually. I, I had to figure out how I was going to make money, mm-hmm. but that all, that all worked out.
2: See, that was a mistake that turned into a door opening.
3: Yeah. Yeah. When I, when I told you know people about it, they were just like, why are you happy? Most people would be like, what's next? How am I going to pay my bills? You know, I have an apartment, I have a car. But I wasn't. I knew I was like, I'm free because I wasn't going to do it. I, need, I needed somebody to fire me. I needed to get pushed out the door. Once you got out the door,
2: did you have that kind of young person in their 20s anxiety about finding their voice, making work?
3: Well, it. It. I thought it was going to get easier after that. Like, yay, I get to be in the studio. But then you have to start managing your schedule. Mm-hmm. And I also was someone growing up, I didn't realize this until, I, you know, I, I, I got a little older, but I had ADHD. So I, I had a hard time focusing unless it was the arts, unless it was science, unless it was English, like math and and other other things like I just I mean, my mind would be wondering about a song idea or I did a lot of talent showcases and I was, you know, in acapella choir and I had to memorize monologues. I kept busy in the arts department and that was that I didn't need medicine um, to to help me. I was naturally interested in that. And by the time I, you know, had got, got fired from Office Depot and I could start my own schedule, I had a hard time focusing because I could do anything I wanted to do. You know, I could go to the frat parties with my best friend who was uh, going to Clark at that time. Shout out to the AUC, Spellman, Morehouse, Clark, the HBCUs in Atlanta. But I wanted that college experience because I was like a theater kid, you know, my whole life and singing my whole life. And I went to perform in art school in New York and I just didn't ha- I didn't feel like I had a a real well-rounded collegiate experience. So yeah, I I had a hard time figuring out my schedule. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, I could end up having to return home to Kansas and I love my family with all my heart. But one, I was going to be embarrassed because I'd already left school. Like I just left New York. So many people had put their prayers in and I was like, I could see everybody taking their prayers back. Up on me getting off the plane. Can you take prayers back? I think people do that all the time. Listen, this world is full of people who will be upset if you don't live the way they want you to live.
2: You had a lot of people back home who weren't totally approving of how you wanted to live,
3: right? Don't we all? Yeah. You know, your family loves you and, and they still see you as, you know, my nickname growing up, or they still call me this, as Punkin'. Because they said I was just this, my head was shaped like a baby pumpkin when it came out. But they took off the M and the P and put it in, an and so it was pumpkin. So they see me in, in their way. You know, I'm always their little baby or always doing this. And I think once I started to to venture out and explore and understand myself more, um, yeah, some some people who I love and who love me were disappointed. But I think at this, this time, people are like, okay, this is her. We can't. We can't control her.
2: Well, they realize you're not going to change for anyone, you know?
3: Yeah, no. I mean, hell, I, I'm not even changing for myself.
2: <laughs> we are who we are.
3: Yeah, that's true.
2: We'll be right back after a quick break.
0: for outliers to be recognized in front of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at T-Mobile.com unconventional unconventionalawards. That's T-Mobile.com unconventional unconventionalawards.
1: See you there. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet?
2: I think a lot of people um, look at you and they see someone who's very successful and, and talented and able to do all these things very well.
3: I don't think so. I think, I don't know.
2: Okay. These are my words.
3: Okay. All right. I'll receive it. You'll receive it. I'll receive it. Absolutely. You don't have to accept it. Just just hear <laughs> it.
2: What's important about this is that there's a whole life and a story that make those good things possible. It's a long road. And I think there's a, there's sort of an illusion that things just kind of happen suddenly Mm -hmm. and you, it's been a journey for over a decade. So when you're pitching your music, there is this one performance you have for an executive and in the middle of you singing and dancing, pouring your heart out, showing him your work, You look up and you see that he is reading a magazine.
3: Do you remember that? Oh, do I? It was one of the most devastating and crushing moments uh, in my career. I mean, I can say now, like, I'm really happy that it didn't work out. You know what I'm saying? Because I, I don't think I would have, I wouldn't be who I was today. I mean, I probably eventually would have, but maybe it would have taken longer because I would have had to go up against obstacles after obstacles of folks trying to get me to look and sound like something that just wasn't a part of my purpose. When it was happening, it was, it was crushing though. Like I, I cry, I remember crying that whole week. And that was really what, right after that. Cause I remember I had a, a, a look and I, you know, Was still trying to figure out what I wanted to do aesthetically and my sound. And I mean, after that, that's when I really had like this chip on my shoulder of, okay, you know, this is what you think of me. This is what you think of my music. It was like, I don't want to go through that again. So what's the next option? The next option for me, and the only option for me, was to form my family, Wonderland, which is an arts creative collective of writers, of musicians, of, you know, not just music writers, but screenwriters, poets, you know, directors, all in Atlanta, Black, creative. This was our hub. And I said, as long as we have each other, we can do this independently, you know, we don't need to go begging for a contract. We don't need to go in and be humiliated or disrespected in the way that we have been. And I had time to develop myself. And I'm so thankful for that time because not a lot of artists get it. You know, everything's so fast. And so I just had to make a decision on if I wanted fast to become famous and to set like, what what were my core values? What what, what was my mission? You know, what what was my purpose? And. My purpose started to get rooted in authenticity and being remarkable over, you know, being a superstar. Selling records, being number one was never my goal. It was always to have that freedom and not feel like at any moment it was going to be ripped underneath me, you know, if I if I didn't assimilate. So I'm just thankful for Wonderland, which is my record company uh, as well. These are my friends. We've still been together today we have a a production company and also a a film production company and now we're we're into we're doing movies and producing movies and you know this is this is my family if i if we didn't find each other i don't think i would have found myself Sun
2: making your first suites there is this aesthetic choice you make in sporting a tuxedo which people misunderstood in a bunch of different strange ways but ultimately it was about paying homage to your mother and father who had to wear uniforms as a janitor and postal worker when you were on stage in the beginning did you feel them in your performances
3: I did and I still do. People have tried to, you know, look at it as like a fashion statement, but it was always rooted in purpose. And I've always felt like a part of my purpose was to to represent my community and to help make them proud. And and there's no other person, you know, other than my mom that I I, I feel like I owe so much to, to my dad as well. I have a stepfather who was just like my dad, too. So I had three parents, and I was lucky to have them there in my life. But my mama is just, she had me really young, and she sacrificed so much. And I think that keeps me fighting. That keeps me going, because I don't want her sacrifices to be in vain. And I don't want her mother's sacrifice, who sacrifices to be in vain. And this was a woman who came from Aberdeen, Mississippi, who, who was a sharecropper, and Experiencing an immense amount of racism in her life and also served food at the county jail in Kansas City for for about 25 years. I wanted to make them proud and to let them know that, you know, I was going to take whatever opportunities I got and shine light on our family. And I think coming from a working class, essential working family is something I take great pride in. You know, I've had an opportunity to perform all around the world and, and meet so many influential people and and, and people that, that, that are adored. And that's all fine. But when I see somebody cleaning up, like there's just a different spot in my heart, a softness in my heart that I immediately have. And it goes to connecting me back to my community, back to my roots. And knowing that I come from this working class, this beautiful family, who made nothing into something so that I could be here today. That is something that I take with me everywhere I go.
2: You know, throughout the past six months, the essential workers that you and I are tethered to, primarily black and brown people, mm-hmm. have been called to work and put themselves on the front lines again and again. They've been asked to make a sacrifice on our behalf. Mm-hmm. What do you make of that?
3: It's very hard. When you think about minorities, and specifically with, with, with being Black and having Black parents who are essential workers and, and, and watching the people who come up on Postmates or who are cleaning and who are helping clean this whole country up, not only are, are, we, are our people underpaid and undervalued, but they're disproportionately affected by COVID-19. Because of the poor healthcare system, because of our proximity with, you know, their proximity with each other. And it's really sad, you know, every single day thinking about how, you know, how we're dying faster, how our people are dying faster. And not only are we trying to survive COVID, but we're trying to survive the police. You know, we're trying to figure out how not to get killed every day. And so it's all infuriating and it it just... You know, it. we can't let up. We cannot continue to not speak out and combat the lies because people's lives are on the line here. When you think about the election, people's lives are on the line. People have died. Hundreds of thousands of folks are dying. So I can't even sit back and, and rest and let up without thinking about, you know, what if that was my grandmother? What if that was my grandfather? That could have very well been them risking their lives. And here we have this this president and this administration not doing anything to fix the racist policies that they have created, that their ancestors have created.
2: You've talked about how your grandparents helped build this country. Yeah. The grandparents before them. Yeah. What is your place in, in that legacy?
3: It's it's surely not to uh, give America to white supremacists or white races or not just white races, but anyone who is trying to continually oppress marginalized folks. You know, my goal is to continue to fight against the abuse of power through art, through my platform, with my voice, even if nobody is listening, speaking out loud about not settling for just lip service. Like I said, you know, your your family, my family helped build this country. And I still have family members who are essential workers. In fact, I have a dad who is working at the post office, refuses to quit. You know, he loves this country. He loves serving. And so just seeing what's happening to the post office and how, you know, they're trying to stop the people from mailing in their their votes and, and, how they're trying to steal this election. Once again, I know that if my grandmother and my ancestors were right here physically with me, I know they wouldn't stand for that. And so I'm a representative of them and of the hard work they put in to build this country. Um, and so I'm not going to give this country to a racist. I'm not going to give this country to a white supremacist. I'm not going to give this country to those who who benefit from racist policies. You know, I'm I am going to use every ounce of my voice and my, my being, to condemn it and to denounce it and to fight back against it.
2: I know you're a woman who grew up loving the idea of possibility. It's partly why you like sci-fi so much is that sci-fi exemplifies everything that's possible. What do you think is possible for us right now as a changing country?
3: I think there are a lot of things possible. Things can get worse. Things can get worse. And I think that we get so much information that is just unbelievable that we become numb. We become numb when something is even more terrifying than what we just saw. And it's like, no way. Then your body goes into shock and you just don't know and you're coping with it, right? And so I think that we have to understand, again, how our past... Is directly connected to our present, and what we do will, in fact, determine what kind of future we'll have. So there are limitless possibilities. Are you hopeful? Uh, you know, some days I am, some days I am, but I, I think I'm. I'm more. My head is like in the work. You know what I'm saying? And and I think that here's the thing about art and about storytelling is that you once you have an audience. And you don't know what those people's political beliefs are when they're watching it, right? You can at least have their attention. And that's why I try to do things that are not so, let me go online and let me try to, you know, preach to the choir or tweet out this hashtag. How else can I be? Because we got to come from all angles, right? And I think that what music does and what art does and what films do and what books can do is we can tell these stories, And we can connect to the hearts and the minds of those who are willing to receive it and listen. There is an opportunity here for for us as we as journalists, as as storytellers, as interviewers, as those who are uh, exemplifying the human connection to really get transparent about what it means to go through what it is that we're going through. There is redemption, but you have to want that. There is not going to be redemption or change without the work either in the accountability. We have to hold each other accountable. It's going to be painful. It's going to be uncomfortable. But I'm hopeful that people are holding each other accountable. And I, I know one thing, that Black people are not settling. We are not allowing ourselves to settle for just lip service. You know, I think, I think that we're looking for some real action.
2: Right before the pandemic, mm-hmm. you and I were at a party. It was in February, which feels like... 20 years ago, and it was for Mr. Moses, who has a new record that is lovely.
3: Which is so beautiful.
2: A healing piece of music for right now. And you may not remember this, but you, we were talking and you came up to me, and we had not met before, and you said, Okay, so Sam, that's how you started. Okay, so Sam, what are you really passionate about? Mm. <laughs> And I thought, well, God, we've never met before. And that's a strong opening question to ask a stranger. Mm -hmm. So I want to give it to you. Mm -hmm. What does your heart want?
3: I want peace. I want peace. As much as I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm fighting and walking in my purpose and trying to do things for the community. I want to be able to really figure out how to manage and tap into peace when I need to. That's just being completely honest. I think through peace, you know, my body won't always be in this heightened sense of, uh, I guess, anxiety around uh, around change and around if things are going to change. And if they don't, what happens? You know, I feel like I'm in survival mode right now. And I want I want peace. And my my hope is that the work that I'm a part of can also give people peace, can give people hope. And that is not just for myself, and people see that that they see community in me, and not just you know here's Janelle <laughs> trying to do anything, wanting to get back to to the communities that have poured so much into me and and telling these stories and amplifying voices of marginalized uh, people uh, I feel like has been my passion and my in my calling and i and I want that freedom to. Also not have to always (laughs) carry the world on my back. You know, I want to just do projects that are just for fun because this is this life. You know what I'm saying? And I think everybody deserves to have joy and to feel like you have time here to just be happy and not have to fix everything. Uh, But I want to give a special shout out to everybody who is on the front lines with COVID, the doctors, the nurses. The families, everybody who's given back to the communities who are really out in the streets risk. Oh, I hate this, um, but risking their own health to, to help others. That's no small thing. That's, sac- that's sacrifice. You know, as, as much as I want to relax and be at peace, I also want to make those same sacrifices.
2: Well, I have something for us to listen to as we leave. It's something that made me feel peaceful and it's something you made. So if you don't mind... Would you want to hear this? I don't know. It depends
3: on what it is. But go ahead. Go ahead. Even when you're upset, you use words of love. Because God is love. Allah is love. Jehovah is love. So don't let your expressions... Even of anger, be confused or misconstrued, turn them into ways of expression that can be understood by using words of love. Wow, wow, thank you for that. Thank you. I listen, Steve Lynn Morris, Stevie Wonder, you know, is is always talking to my spirit and my soul. And uh, thank you for that. Thank you for that reminder.
2: Janelle Monáe, thank you very much. Thank you. That's our show. Special thanks to Court Barrett, Daniel Jackson, Kelly Andrews, and Ivy Lauren. Janelle's latest film, Antebellum, will be available to stream September 18th at home, on demand, through Redbox, Apple TV, Google Play, and more. If you'd like more info on how and where to watch, we'll include some links in our show notes at talk easy pod Dot com if you'd like to learn more about janelle you can visit her site at jmonet.com for more conversations with artists musicians writers actors take a listen to some of my favorite talks with folks like gloria Steinem, run the jewels Brittany howard elizabeth gilbert lena waith hassan minaj and many many more you can find those on spotify apple Podcasts, google stitcher wherever you do your listening. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TalkEasyPod. And if you'd like to join our growing mailing list, drop me a line at TalkEasyPod at gmail.com. And finally, this show would not be possible without our incredible team. Our executive producer is Janik Sabravo, associate producer Nikki Spina, lead editor is Andre Lin, Assistant editors are David Harding, Eli Weiss, and Rena Zhang. Marketing by Patrice Lee. Our interns are Jules Rector and Grace Perkins. Music by Dylan Peck. Illustrations by Krishna Shenoy. Graphics by Ian Jones, Derek Gabrizak, and Ethan Seneca. And of course, the show is produced each week by Caroline Reebok. I'm San Fragoso. Thank you for listening to Talk Easy. We'll be back this Wednesday with a bonus episode with actor Carrie Coon and director Kat Solon. Until then, stay safe, take care of yourself, and so long.
3: information.